on Thursday night, I wrote an outline for a sermon I was really, really excited to give. Then yesterday I was reading a, a pasuk from the Torah, and it demanded my attention. And if there really is a verse from Torah in future weeks it's, or that speaks to me on that topic, I will. And if not, that's okay. That's totally okay. There's lots of Torah that goes through us that doesn't always need to be shared. Of course, by the end of the sermon, you're going to wish I gave that one, okay? So this is the verse that got me this week. The parsha is the story of the golden calf. And I was drawn to chapter 32, verse 25. Vayar Moshe et ha'am ki aharon Moshe saw that the people were out of control since Aaron had let them get out of control, so that they were a menace to any who might oppose them. So Moshe is coming down the mountain, and this is what he sees. He sees, the, the first thing caught my attention was the Am. He sees the people, you could translate it, or you could say it's the nation. So there are other words that could have been used here. Edut could have been used, the congregation of Israel, Kehila could have been used, um, many different kinds of words for a group of Israelites. And we know that not everyone was involved in the golden calf. It was a bit of a mob, but some people were standing to the side in disdain of what was going on. But what Moshe sees is an Am. He sees the nation. He sees the nation of Israel involved in idolatry. And that taught me, or it occurred to me, it came to me, that it's all well and good sometimes to say that there's a loyal opposition. But the way a country is seen is by how its leadership presents it to the world. And sometimes I want to see a pluralism and a diversity in our state of Israel, in our land of Israel. But I'm not always honest enough to realize that the way it is seen in the world is probably the way I should see it myself often, which is as a nation, you can't just say some people oppose what's going on. We are held accountable. What Moses sees first and foremost is Am, Israel, the nation of Israel. Second, what caught my attention here, because I was not expecting the word Am, is what comes next. This is a very short pasuk. Vayar Moshe et Am ki ki faru'ahu. Okay, because it was, the nation was Farua'ah. So that looks a lot like the word Pharaoh. And just in case it's, well, Farua'ah and Pharaoh sound different, the Pasuk makes it more like Pharaoh two words later. Ki Aharon, because Aaron let them get out of control. So, because, so the nation was out of control because Aaron let them do so. Moshe saw that the nation was out of control since its leader there, Aaron, had let them get out of control so that they were a menace to any who might oppose them. We become, as a nation, what we most abhor sometimes, what we were to distinguish ourselves against. And leaders who mean well cannot avoid the responsibility for making us what we thought we were running away from. 
It's almost like the text is hinting they were becoming Pharaoh, exactly who they were running away from. They were creating a nation I'm not sure we would want to arrive at in the promised land. Racism, authoritarianism, denial of rights, immorality. Are we becoming Viktor Orban's Hungary, Putin's Russia, or Pharaoh's Egypt? So I looked at the commentators to see what they were saying. And I looked at it, I found this fascinating from Ramban. Moshe ben Nachman, of course, the legalist, halachicist, Kabbalist um, from Spain and Catalonia, eventually in Israel in the 1200s. Ramban adds, and Moshe saw that the people were farua, out of control, broken loose. The meaning of this is that although Aaron defended himself and said that he was not at fault with them, yet Moshe knew in his heart that the people were broken loose, for they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. It is similar to the expression, Vatifra'u, and ye have said it not, all my counsel. And similar also to the verse, for he free I cast away restraint in Judah, when they acted treacherously against the eternal. In other words, the verse is stating that Moshe saw that Aharon had let the people loose and left them without any counsel and instruction. This is still Ramban. So the point is that he's, Aaron is to blame because he did not provide counsel and instruction. So they became like sheep scattered upon the mountains without counselor and guide. Scripture stated this especially because they had thought that the calf would be their guide. But in fact, they appeared as if they had no counsel, not knowing the way in where they must walk and the deeds that they must do. For some of them intended it for the good, according to their way of thinking, and others attended it, actually, they really were bent on evil. And thus, each one went his own way. Rambam makes a brilliant observation. It may seem in such cases of mob action that there is a force of unanimity. There is a force of common purpose, of at least a binding ideology. But as Rambam points out, the mob all working together to make the calf is just a unity on the surface. But scratch that surface, and they are like sheep scattered upon the mountains without counselor and guide. It seems that the one who leads the mob is an example of great leadership, in this case, Aharon. But in reality, they are not a great leader because they are not providing counsel, and they are not really providing guidance. When you have a leader who does not have positions but plays off the crowd, saying whatever would get a rise out of them, they seem like a powerful leader, but Rambam's point is that the leader of the mob is the opposite of a leader with actual counsel, and the mob action itself is the expression of a fervent desire to have a leader, to have each individual grievance and agenda and hope put together by a leader into something coherent. And that's why Aaron says, you're going to make the calf, and the calf will be your guide. The mob mentality is an expression of, we want to have a leader. We want someone to take my grievances and my thoughts and put them into something that binds us together. But the mob action is just an aspiration for so. It's not the reality. And the one who leads the mob and plays off of them is not a leader at all. And that's why Aaron is blamed. The fact that there's no coherent guidance makes the mob a farce. Because on, each, on some level... Each one there knows it to be. 
In other words, the mob action is actually a way of hoping that actions will lead to a coherent guide, but it's really a coalition of individual agendas, each one going their own way, as Ramban says. Some perhaps with an ideal, as Ramban says, some of them have excellent ideals. Others just want to get their way and get redressed for their grievances. There's no coherent position. The golden calf, the result, was all along a wish for some manifestation of a guide. There's no counsel at the heart of any of it. And it feels that way so much with Israel today. The new coalition has no real coherent council. It's each after its own power, validated by the appearance of a coalition, whose main rallying point is that there should be no check on anything they can come up with by the slimmest of majorities. There should be no judges in Israel, a nation that originated in judges. Psalms 106, verse 19 to 21. They made a calf at Horev and bowed down to a molten image. They exchanged their glory for the image of a bull that feeds on grass. They forgot God who saved them, who performed the great deeds of Egypt in Egypt. We know that the current Israeli government has abandoned any pretense of liberalism or even of moderation. I count myself a very proud moderate. I know it's hard to hear anyone talking about Israel who's not yourself, except maybe for me, because anyone who wants to talk to me about Israel, I've learned so much from other people's views of Israel. And I stood up here, what was it, a year and a half ago or something, I gave a big Yom Kippur morning sermon on Israel, and there were people who came up to me and said, I really wish you would read this article, and I would really wish you would read this book. And I did, and I'm really much better for it. As a moderate, it didn't change my overall positions, but I also learned where I've been saying things that were wrong, and it changed my views to make me better and refined. So I've actually learned to really love hearing other people talk about Israel, on all sides of the spectrum because I really learned something. So I hope you can give me a little bit of um, leeway today. But we have to admit, the governing coalition includes figures such as Itamar Ben-Gavir, an admirer of Jewish supremacist Rabbi Meir Kahana, who threatened Yitzhak Rabin on television weeks before his assassination. Ahead of the latest parliamentary elections, Ben-Gavir urged police to open fire on Palestinians. Of course, now he's the Minister for National Security. I mean, I can imagine Moshe coming down the mountain and seeing a nation like that. The Finance Minister, Betzalel Smotrich, Religious Zionism Party, proudly describes himself as a homophobe. He supports the full annexation of the West Bank without any kind of citizenship for Palestinians. Of course, he was embroiled in the allegation that he helped plan a militant attack on a sort of terrorist attack on motorists in 2005 or the disengagement from Gaza. He's advocated for separate Jewish and Arab maternity wards within Israel. Justice Minister Yariv Levin is moving ahead with the plan that would weaken, it's an understatement, the country's judiciary, granting the government total control over judicial appointments and hampering the ability of the Israeli Supreme Court to strike down laws. Of course, there there's official positions on us who live in diaspora. Coalition members, before formally joining the government, advocating to recognize only orthodox conversions for considering eligibility for Aliyah or immigration to Israel. Amichai Shikli, the minister for diaspora affairs, has said that he believes the pride flag is an anti-Zionist symbol. He's bashed not only views that reformed Jews hold, but reformed Jews themselves. Telling the Jerusalem Post last year, the reform movement has identified itself with the radical left's 
false accusations that the settlers are violent, so that they have earned the criticism against them, and I cannot identify with them. So, so of course, he's the Minister for Diaspora Affairs. Several weeks ago, the Israeli government sent this region's representative to Ann Arbor. We're here at Beth Israel in the library. He met with us clergy. Told us that all of this is politics as usual. And we can trust that nothing has really changed. And don't believe what you read in the papers. And that Netanyahu would never let anything really change. He's one of us. And of course, we receive the usual line that when it comes to the conservative reform issues, Israelis like their Judaism fundamentalist orthodox. They can't change that. And it's liberal Judaism's own inherent failures that causes it not to get market share. It has nothing to do with our being outlawed from doing weddings and other life cycle events or the fact that we receive no funding to run our institutions. Many of us feel betrayed. And I don't think it's just a diaspora thing. And I think that writers have filled their quota long ago with articles whose point is that Jews in the diaspora don't have a right to comment on what goes on in Israel. Except when you agree with what's going on in Israel. Then you can write all you want. We all have a stake in Israel. We've all put in a half shekel. We've all put Israel as our homeland, as a cornerstone of our religion, our prayers, our family commitments, and our lives. It's not just a diaspora attitude. The prayers in the service have been praying for Israel and its ability to shine a light to the nations for almost 2,000 years before 1948. We have a right to speak. And it's not just a diaspora attitude, as many tell me. To a quarter of a million Israelis in the streets this week feel the same way. In Deuteronomy 9, verse 17, when we have the telling of the story of what happened at the golden calf, Moshe says, Thereupon I gripped the two tablets and flung them away with both my hands, smashing them before your eyes. I think many of us feel like Moshe. Is this what I spent my days and nights fasting over, praying for, changing our lives for, sending ourselves and our children to defend? A bastion of what we stood against? Racism, causeless hatred, for sure. The idea that Mike might makes right? The elimination of checks and balances? In that same chapter in Deuteronomy 9, Moshe recounts God's words to him upon the mountain. And Adonai said to me, hurry, Go down from here at once, for the people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted wickedly. They have been quick to stray from the path that I enjoined upon them. They have made themselves a molten image. I really haven't been able to, over the last couple of months, been able to put my words into feelings. I think I had a few words for the representative from uh, the government um, <clears throat> that I think shocked some of the other people in the room. But I can't say they were awfully articulate, because I haven't really been all that articulate, because I think it's been a matter of feelings. We all know that a rabbi can't win when talking about Israel. As Sharon Brow says, it's called the death by Israel sermon. But I think the closest thing I feel is a sense of mourning. It's like someone I've had a lifelong relationship with whom I've loved and evolved with, not always agreeing with, but never even considering for one second casting aside. It's like they've been sick for some time, and I was sure they'd pull through it. And it was just a matter of my patience. Often being, told, it's, it, often being told to stay out of their issues and not meddle. And so, of course, you know, any of us who've dealt with like an elderly parent who says, I'm fine, I'm fine at home, 
I'm recovering from my fall. Don't get me help. I'm all good to go. And you're like, okay, we'll wait, we'll wait. You come back. There's another election coming up. And then suddenly they're gone. As it said in the New Republic this week, not exactly a bastion of liberalism, the fundamental question of all of, all of us have to confront, according to Shatul Magid, who's a Dartmouth in Jewish studies, the fundamental question all of us have to confront is, is this government an aberration or is this government a logical outcome of what's been going on for at least 50 years? Put another way, how could this be happening? It was always happening. So I've been giving space to Israel in our relationship, like dealing with that elderly parent who wants the space to recover from the latest crisis. And I feel guilty because I think it's needed us all along. And now I feel a sense of loss. There's an emptiness inside of me whose only description can be called grief and mourning. Exodus chapter 33, 4. When the people heard the harsh word, they went into mourning, and none put on finery. When will the new tablets of stone arrive? Ramban said that what was missing from the mob was good counsel. And when we look at the prayer for the state of Israel on page 178, you'll notice that what it says is, guide its leaders and advisors with your light and your truth. Help them with your good counsel. And you may have noticed that the Lev Shalem allows us, if you wish, in brackets, to put the prayer in the future tense rather than the present tense. And I have never, from the Bima, put the prayer in the future tense. I have always kept it in the present tense, although I have enjoyed when others put it in the future tense because I like a pluralism of um, sincerity. But today, I put it in the future tense, that the Eitzah Tovah, the good counsel of Torah, can come to the leaders and visors who lead our holy land.